Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. So PG gave me a call and he says, listen, I want you to speak on this particular Sunday. And I was just about to wait for him to finish because you got to really wait till he pauses to jump in and get a word in. And I was waiting. It's like double Dutch for those of you. And I was like, okay, as soon as he pauses, as soon as he takes a breath, as soon as he goes, <gasps> that would be my cue. So I can say, listen, let Enrique preach. And uh, I guess he took a real deep breath, and he just kept on going on and on and on. And as he was speaking in one ear, the spirit was speaking me in my, to me in, my, in the other ear. And gave me simultaneously this passage. And so when he was done, I'm like, yes, okay, I'll speak. And so this is what the Lord has given me. And so it took me some time to develop it. Uh, how the Lord works with me is kind of like he gives me this acre of land and says, uh, in it, there's a box. And with storms and shifting the box is open and the gems have fallen deep into that ground. You got to go dig for it. So depending upon how much time I put in and how much how willing I am to dig deep will determine how many of these gems I find. That's pretty much how I see what I do. And this is what the Lord has given me was Joshua chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. And they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and... Go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. It's about 3,000 feet. And do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. I want to speak to you on the subject, for we have not passed this way before. And so it, sometimes, and I've, I've always been guilty of this, you know, um, I treat the Bible sometimes like I treat my food. And, and sometimes, you know, I was, I retired in 2015 from the fire department. And when we would cook, or I was the main cook at the firehouse. And so we would sit down and we're all excited to eat. And we all would just eat so quickly because if the alarm went off, we had about one minute to get on the truck. And so uh, nobody wanted to come back to cold food, so we just got accustomed to just eating fast. And I, I didn't think anybody could eat faster than me. One time I had the carotinis helping me with something in the house, and I remember <laughs> getting some sandwiches for everyone, and, and I'm the type of person I set the table properly. I mean, plates, forks, knives, napkins, maybe even a straw and a glass. And so I'm, I'm, I'm distributing all the sandwiches. I think I got them from Publix. And I'm, I'm standing, and I'm just, the last thing I do is just distribute these sandwiches. And as I sit, Christian's standing up. And I'm thinking, what did I miss? Did I miss a napkin? Did I miss a fork? No, he had finished eating. <laughs> he, like no gag reflex. And so, Anyway, sometimes we treat the word of God that way. We read so quickly, we don't stop to smell the aroma that's coming from the scriptures. And so there is so much wealth that's in this passage, which is a prelude to the nation of Israel finally going into the promised land. And so I want you to just take a look with me, a little journey here. It talks about here in the very first portion of the first verse, then Joshua rose early in the morning. He rose early in the morning. I, I challenge you on your personal time to do a, just a, a survey, if you will, not even so much a study, but a survey of all the times from Genesis to Revelation where you see men and women of God rising early in the morning. Now, I'm not trying to box God in. I'm not trying to be legalistic. You know, it says in 
in uh, Psalm 55, 17, evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. And so God is omnipresent, so we could talk to God at any time. But there's something specific and strategic about early in the morning. The word in the Hebrew is bokar, bokar. And it literally means before the sun rises. What's the big deal about that? Well, you know, the big deal about that is that when we go back to where we first see that in Scripture, we have to go back, and I want to preface it with this. We exist in two realms at the same time. Whether you realize it or not, we exist in this natural realm and we exist in a spiritual realm. The very first book in the Bible, the book of Job, written long before Moses wrote Genesis, opens up with a scene that was going on at the same time while something was happening to Job. He was, it shows us and gives us precedent that we exist in two realms at the same time. Jesus said in John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you can't tell where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so we exist in two realms at the same time. So we go back to Genesis, but Ashit in the Hebrew, meaning the book of beginnings. And in Genesis 28, some of your Bibles may have like an introductory line that says, this is talking about the subject of Jacob's ladder. And in Genesis 28, it says, speaking of Jacob, so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put his head on it and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, or Bethel, and this is the gate of heaven. Then he rose early in the morning, Bokar, before the sun rose, and took the stone that he had put on his head and set up a pillar and poured oil on top of it. That word from gate of heaven is sha'er in the Hebrew, sha'er, and it literally means a portal. What he had seen in Bokar in that time early in the morning before the sun rises was the changing of the guard. They weren't descending and ascending. It's very clear that they were ascending and descending because they were already here. Where am I going with this? What God has in store for RCC is going to require the help and the assistance of the angels of heaven. And we need to be aware of how that operates and we need to be aware of that realm. Almost a third of the Bible has consists of angels. In fact, the Bible opens up in Genesis chapter 2. It says, so the heavens and the earth were completed and all its heavenly host. God, when he created the heavens and the earth, also created all the heavenly host. Now, we don't really know what all heavenly host is. We know amongst that heavenly host, we have angels. And we have cherubim. And we have seraphim. And we have heavenly watchers. And we have heavenly lights. There's a lot of things in the unknown because we don't see it. And sometimes we think if we don't see it, it doesn't seem to exist. But the spirit realm, I want you to understand, is not something that's far away in terms of distance. It's a different dimension. It's something that exists outside of your five senses, your ability to hear, see, taste, smell, and feel after God. Outside of your natural senses exists the realm of the spirit. And what Jacob had saw at Bokar was the changing of the guard. There was something very strategic that happens during the changing of the guard. And I was asked, actually, you talk about Jessica. Jessica asked me the foundations class about this whole concept of can we command angels? Can we tell angels what to do? I love what, what Rick Joyner said. He goes, anyone that tells you that you can command an angel has certainly never had an angelic visitation. He's had plenty of them if you read the final quest. And he says every single time he's had that, 
he has been scared to death. It tells us in Psalm 103.20, it says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his angels, you who serve him and doing his will. And so there are angels that are on assignment. There are angels that are called and assigned not only to RCC, but assigned to you individually. And there are angels that have not been utilized because we have not cooperated with the heavenly hosts. And it's not that we command them and tell them what to do, but when we quote the word of God, because they obey his word, and when we quote the prophetic word, the rhema over our lives, then they will obey his word because they're here to do his will. And Joshua understood this. And that's why before he crossed over the Jordan, he knew, I need to pray, but I need to pray Bokar. I need to pray before the sunrise. I need to release the angelic assignment because what we're going to do is going to be so difficult. In fact, it's going to be impossible. We can't do it on our own. We need heavenly help. And God created a whole heavenly host. You guys with me? All right. So understand something because uh, I, I want you to understand something. And I'm not here to teach on angels this morning. I'm, I'm, I haven't lost track on Joshua. But I just want you to understand that, you know, one of the toughest times growing up and even today is being in middle school. Like they called it junior high school when I went in school in the Bronx. And it's probably the most toughest time where there were so many people having fights and and uh, it didn't matter if you could beat somebody up. It, the real concern was who were they connected with because then you risk after school getting jumped, right? So you had to make certain connections. And so it didn't matter, you know, who you could take out, but if you didn't have enough backup, then you're going to get jumped and you're going to get beat up pretty bad. And I've seen a lot of people getting jumped in, in the school that I went to in the Bronx. And so, I mean, what is getting jumped when you're outnumbered, Right? So in Revelation chapter 12, we get a scene of a war in heaven. And in this war, it talks about how Lucifer, the devil, was kicked out of heaven. And when he was kicked out, he took one-third of all the heavenly host with him. Now, I want you to do the math with me. If he took out one-third, what remains? Okay, because Hollywood doesn't seem to understand that or they don't really care. Because every time there's a scene with a priest, he's urinating on himself and he's holding his crucifix. And he can only quote one verse, right, or one chapter, the Lord is my shepherd. And they always portray the church as being weak and anemic. But I'm telling you that when they mess with us, somebody's getting jumped. Because we have two angels for every demon. And I want you to understand that because when we are going to do something that God has called us to do that we have never done before, it is easy to be afraid. But there is a host, a heavenly host that is backing up where God has spoken to you individually, where God has spoken to this house. And the promises, though they tarry, they will come to pass. They will come to pass. Amen. So we, now we need to understand we're not here to worship angels. That's not the point. We don't have to be talking to angels unless they manifest themselves. That's a different story. We can have a conversation. We're going to take our conversation to the Lord. But in my prayer, I'm going to declare what the word of the Lord is, what he's spoken in his written word and what he has spoken in a rhema, in a prophetic word. And with that, the angels are released on assignment. See, because there were three, one kind of angel that I didn't even mention was the archangels. And there were three archangels. And so you have the archangel Michael, who we mentioned in Revelation 12, who was over the warring angels. And then we have the archangel Lucifer, who was over the worshiping angels, who was kicked out of heaven. But we also have the archangel Gabriel, who's over the messenger angels. So there was a time when God said, I want to send a word, a message to Elizabeth and to Zechariah and there was a whole bunch of angels that probably volunteered, but Gabriel's like, no, I think I got this one. And he goes down and he gives Zechariah the word, and after he tells him 
this incredible word from the very presence of God, Zechariah's like, well, how I know that's going to come to pass? Hmm. That was the wrong thing to say. Do you know who I am? Do you know that I stand in the presence of God? He goes, you're going to be mute. Now, I was there when all four of my kids were born. And I tell you, I, was, I either cried for some or laughed for others. And it was a joyous occasion. But from that point forward, Zacharias was made a mute because he doubted this heavenly being. In fact, even after she gave birth, his, he was still a mute. It wasn't until eight days later. They're not here to hear play around. All right? They're on assignment, and they're serious. Okay? They carry authority. The psalmist said they're mighty in power and mighty in strength. You guys with me? So let's go back into the background here. I don't want to get off track, but I really want you to understand that what we're going to do and what God has called us to do is beyond ourselves and that's what God wants. He wants you to come to the end of ourselves and know that he has created a whole heavenly host to get his will accomplished. And we need to cooperate with those heavenly hosts. Amen? It goes on to say that Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Acacia Grove. And then they came to the Jordan. So what is Acacia Grove? Now, um, my wife can tell you, um, some people may think it's weird, but I'm just really big into geography. I love to travel, not because I like to just be on vacation, but because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And I love to visit all kinds of places. We've been to all 50 states. Me, her, and, and my two younger kids, Shani and Niali, my older ones. Well, actually, Crystal still loves to fly all over the place. And when I started really flying, Joshua had just gotten his driver's license. So he was like, I want to drive. I don't want to fly anywhere. It's all right. So you'll miss out. So, <laughs> but I have a globe on my desk. Uh, I sit down and just look at maps for fun when we used to have maps, right? Now everything's like online, the Hammond at Atlas and stuff. And so I, the only atlas I really look at now is the Bible atlas. But the point I'm trying to make is this. Whenever you read something like the Acacia Grove, the Sea of Galilee, Mount Hebron, Mount Sinai, those are geographical locations, and that became part of the Word of God. It's not just, it didn't just say, oh, they were in the forest, God was very specific in mentioning these locations. And so they become part of the word of God. So it would behoove you to know what it's about. Amen. So let's talk about this acacia grove. The first time it's mentioned is in Numbers chapter 25 verse 1. Now Israel remained in acacia grove and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. So this is a very beautiful location. And it wound up being a place of temptation for the nation of Israel. That's it was marked. It was an absolute gorgeous forest. When I think of it, I think of the kind of the forest I can, where's Matt at? Bond. Matt Bond. Oh, the other Matt. Sorry. I love you too, bro. I'm going to get back to you in a second, though. And so the forest in Oregon, okay, or in Olympic National Park in Washington, up in Vancouver area, just a unique kind of forest, just a beautiful place a very romantic setting. And here, the nation of Israel comes here and they fall to temptation and they pray harlotry, commit harlotry with the women of Moab. Fast forward now, we go to Joshua chapter 2, the chapter before my text, and it says in chapter 2, verse 1 of Joshua, now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and they lodged there. Uh-oh. Are we back to the same cycle again? Didn't we break these generational curses? Coming from Acacia Grove, back to the house of harlotry. Now, there's a different, this is a whole different generation. There was, other than Joshua and Caleb, there was no one alive that came out of Egypt. Forty years in the desert. And they all died off. But these two young men who Joshua had commissioned to be spies understood where their forefathers had fallen. Understood the general, generational curses that had tripped up their family lineage. And they broke those generational curses. They didn't pick her, they didn't pick her up out of the street. She wasn't one of those kind of street corner prostitutes. 
These are the more expensive ones, on, like on Park Avenue. We already dismissed the kids. I'm, re- I'm still reading out of the Bible. It says that her house was high up on the wall in Jericho. That's like saying, hey, where do you live? And Enrique tells me, oh, well, we live in Owlsworth in Windermere. Well, you got to have $3 million just to get a slum house there that's falling apart. Okay? So the fact that she lived there tells us that she was very affluent and had very high-paying clientele. Okay? And so the typical exchange is is that she brings them to the place of business, and the very first thing is you got to pay up. And so once they paid her her fee, she proceeds to take them to the room, and she recognizes that they're not coming. And they just look at her and it's like, no, we're not doing that. So what is it that you want? We're not here for that. They didn't even break a sweat. It wasn't like, oh, man, you know, you know, my, my parents, you know, my father was an alcoholic. My grandfather's an alcoholic. And here you are offering me a drink. Now, it wasn't even, it ain't even close to being a temptation. They could walk right in there and not even be tempted. Coming from the very same place, they were overcomers. They were overcomers. And Jesus said in Revelation 2.26, he says, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give him power over the nations. And these two spies understood that even before Jesus said that. And so they said, listen, our forefathers came from the Acacia Grove and they fell into harlotry. We're now we're in the house of a harlot. But we're here to take that which the enemy meant for evil and turn it around for God's good. Because this whole thing, as beautiful as it is, it's coming down. All this belongs to us. You guys with me? All right. It says, now what is it about the Acacia Grove forest? Well, what was famous about it was the Acacia wood. It was the most expensive type of lumber that existed. It was impenetrable by insects. Termites could not bite into it. It was very, very, very expensive. In fact, it was the main source of construction material for the Ark of the Covenant and for the tabernacle. In fact, when it talks about taking the construction of the Ark of the Covenant, it said take acacia wood. And it was a box that had a bottom and four sides with no top. And inside this box, they placed the Ten Commandments that Moses came down Mount Sinai with which represented the logos of God, the constitution of the gospel. Also in it was the pot of manna. And the word manna means, right, we were talking about that, was it last Sunday or Sunday before? It means what is it? I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, Jotty was selling it at the grind. (laughs) And people were looking for it, and there was none there. They thought that she was just messing around, but I had went and I bought them all. I can't even pronounce it because if I mispronounce it, I'm saying something bad, she told me, in Portuguese. So I'm not going to go there. But manna was, was angel food, the Bible tells us. And it was something that you had to eat today because by tomorrow it would be rotten. Because what, which is just like a rhema. I mean, rhema is a tailor-made word. I mean, God may tell me, you know, hey, I want you to go to Four Rivers for lunch today. But tomorrow he may say, you know, uh, go to the coop. And I got to be led by the spirit, right? So just because God says to do something today doesn't mean that that word applies for tomorrow. It's a tailor-made word. And so in the Ark of the Covenant was the Logos and the Rhema. It's the unchanging word, the Genesis, the Revelation. We can't take from it. We can't add to it. But then there's also Rhema. Take, give me this day my daily bread. And also was the Aaron's rod that budded. It was a dead, dry piece of stick that they used it's almost like we would go hiking up the mountains. We would use trekking poles. It was very sturdy. And out of this rod, it budded. So out of something that was dead came life. And it was all a sign of Christ who was to come. For he is the Logos and the Rhema. And he is the resurrection and the life. So those are the three articles that were inside the Ark of the Covenant. It had no top. And so what they did was they took this huge, oh, backtrack. This four-sided acacia wood box was dipped in gold. And then it was dipped in gold again. 
and it was dipped, and they continued dipping it until the amount of gold that covered it equaled the amount of wood that was inside of it. Because gold speaks of the divinity of God, and wood speaks of the humanity of God as a sign that when Jesus Christ was to come, that he would be all God and he would be all man. He wasn't just a man the way the, the Muslims tell us, and he wasn't just God the way some of the spiritists tell us, but he was all God, the only begotten of the Father, and he was all man as he was, came through the immaculate conception of Mary. And this was a sign of Christ to come. So then they placed on top of it this huge slab of gold, and it was called the mercy seat. And from this slab, they formed two cherubims. And what is a cherubim? It's an angel with wings. It's an angel with wings because not all angels have wings. But the cherubim do. And they're facing each other, and their wingtips touch because it was a photo snapshot of a circular motion that happens as the angels circle around the throne and cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So I want you to understand what it is that they were looking at, why the Acacia Grove was so important. And it says that they left the Acacia Grove and they went down to the Jordan. The Jordan literally means the descender. It speaks of the deep things of God. Because when you look at the terrain, the water comes from the Sea of Galilee and it flows down descends into the Jordan River and empties out into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is extremely, it's the saltiest body of water on the planet. I remember we took um, Christian and Sammy Caratini to Utah, right? Remember we went to the Salt Lake and we were, and it was, it was just so beautiful. And there was a big plaque and it says, this is the second highest salinity body of water on the planet, 25% salt. Only the, sea of, only the Dead Sea in Israel, it said it on the plaque, had a higher salinity of 33%. You can't even drown in it. You get in it, you float. Okay? And so what was unusual about this spot was that centuries later, this was the very same spot where Elisha, who kept running after Elijah, saw the chariots of fire come and take Elijah. There was something really powerful about this geography, the geographical location. In fact, a couple of centuries later, this is where Jesus comes and gets baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. In that same spot on the other side of the Jordan. So there is something significant about geography. Okay? And it all comes back to the portals. And when we, when Joanne leads us in worship. When we come on Tuesdays and we pray, when we pray before service, those two things unlock portals. A portal is a cylindrical opening that connects the third heavens to the first heavens and allows angels to ascend and descend unhindered by demonic activity. Second Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the third heavens. So if there's a third heavens... Simple arithmetic, there has to be a second and first, okay? And we know this happens because in that very same area, when Balaam wanted to curse, or he, he, want, he was willing to take some, some money to curse the nation of Israel, he couldn't because there was a portal protecting the angels and the purpose of God. And the donkey saw it, but he couldn't see it. You remember that? They, they, it was just impossible. It was impossible for him to fulfill the will of Satan in that area because a portal had been established. And finally, after beating his donkey three times, the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey's like, why do you keep hitting me for? <laughs> ja? <laughs> and the angel says, you should be happy that the donkey did that because had you come here, I would have killed you. I told you, they, they don't come with the fruit of the spirit. That's our job. <laughs> You're going to be a mudo. You're going to be mute to Zacharias, and I would have I killed you. <laughs> there are so many times that these angels come from the presence of the Lord, and we want to give devil all the credit, but we forget he's been defeated. The keys of death, hell, and grave have been taken from him. 
It says in verse 2 that when they got there, they waited three days. Joshua brought the nation of Israel there, and they camped there three days. Why three days? What is significant about three days? Well, in Genesis 1-9, the third day of creation is when God separated the land from the water. It was a preparation for what God was about to do again. It wasn't the first time he's done it. He, he parted the Red Sea when they came out of Egypt, and he separated the waters from the land in Genesis. They had to wait three days. So that's the background. I want to take a look at what exactly was the command. In Joshua 3.3 3 it says, And they commanded the people saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant and the Levites bearing it, then you should go to your place and go after it. So the first thing was when you see the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the purpose, the plans of Christ that he has manifested to RCC and to your life personally. Every time we come here on Sunday morning, whether it's PG, myself, PK, Enrique, whoever is speaking, Rosie, whoever is speaking, we are declaring the vision that God is directing this house. As it says in Habakkuk 2.2, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. You've got to be able to see the vision. We're not asking you to move or do anything. We're asking, can you see it? If you don't see it, we're going to keep speaking it. We're going to keep making it plain until you run with it. That's our job. When you see the Ark of the Covenant and when you see the Levites bearing the vision. And that's something that's a little bit different. And that's why Charles is, is helping me with the next step classes, with the About Us and the Volunteer. We... We want you to understand when you come here that we do things perhaps a little bit differently than you were accustomed to maybe at the church that you came from. Okay? Or like, or like, like the famous line in The Chosen, get used to different. Get used to different. And it may be different to you, but it's not different to Scripture. It's just that we've, been, we've grown up with so much tradition. Right? My, my, my mother grew up in a church where, where women couldn't wear pants. Right? Because it says in the law that a woman can't wear a man's clothes. Right? But there was men's robes and women's robes. There's men's pants and there's women's pants. So they didn't understand scripture. Right? Couldn't wear jewelry because of what it says in Peter. They took that out of context. And, and there's so much tradition. You know, there's plenty of rules in the Bible. We don't have to add to it. There's over 600 laws. And you don't have to memorize them all. If you just know two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. On this hang the law and the prophets. And so if you can fulfill those two, you don't worry about the other 600. You'll flow in that. And if not, then we'll bring you some loving correction. Right? That's what Papa is for. Is because we love you. So one of the things that we're not doing is we're not doing church as normal. This one-man pastoral system is, is built on a 160-year-old wineskin that has no biblical precedent whatsoever. The Ark of the Covenant represents the very presence of God. And when one person tried to hold it up, named Uzzah, God killed him. And I can't tell you, you look at the Barnes list, uh, and you, how many churches are closing on a regular basis? How many ministries are folding on a regular basis? And some people cry, oh, it's spiritual warfare. No, God's shutting it down. It doesn't say the devil killed Uzzah. The Bible says that God killed Uzzah because one man can't hold the glory of God by himself. It was never supposed to be carried by one person, but the Ark of the Covenant was always intended to be carried on the shoulders, plural, of the priesthood. God has given this ministry a multiplicity of ministry to bear the burden. When you see the Ark and when you see the, the Levites bearing it, so it's not just you seeing it, but we as a leadership got to bear it. And we got to bear it his way, not our way. 
Jesus said you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. And we don't want to nullify the word of God because we need his power is in his word. Amen? And he has given us a multiplicity of ministry. It says after he died and rose again, it says when he ascended on high and led captivity captive, he gave gifts unto men. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That happened post-ascension. It's almost like when Elijah went up. Elijah gets caught up in the chariots of fire and his mantle falls. Jesus Christ goes up, he gets, he's ascended, and his mantle's broken into five. And five mantles drop of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Okay? He says, I'm the bread of life. And he breaks himself into five loaves and he feeds the masses. He's still feeding the masses today with himself. And himself is his mantles, his five mantles that he has gifted to the church. And that is what's going to bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you see it, and when you see us bearing it, then you got to go after it. One of the reasons why it's so important to understand church order and church government is because when we, right, me and, me, me and um, Chris we were having lunch and we were talking about this. When we think, when we're talking about all the different uh, uh, moves of the spirit, where it be the Pentecostal movement that began with a one-eyed black man in Azusa Street. I, I was there in Bonnie Ray House over in downtown Los Angeles. Or the latter rain movement with William Branham and then the healing revival that came on and the charismatic movement, the Jesus movement. They were all moves of God. They were incredible testimonies and miracle signs and wonders that all started so awesome and all came to a crashing end. Because the spirit was moving, but there was no container to hold the wine. And Jesus said, you can't pour new wine in an old wineskin. And so this new move of the spirit was coming. We were trying to take it and fit it in a one-man pastoral system that has no biblical precedent. And so when I hear people talk about the five-fold ministry, yeah, that, that sounds good. But they've been talking about that since the 40s. They've been talking about that since the 50s and the 60s, and we have yet to see that in full realization. Let all things be done decently and in order. And so you got to understand that we, we come, uh, you guys represent a Joshua generation. And PG and, and PK and PL and I and... Even Charles, Darren, we come from like the Moses generation. And I'm saying we ain't crossing over, don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> We're with the spies, right? We're coming across. But what I'm saying is, is that Joshua and Caleb were there when God performed all those miracles. And they saw the move of God. And so when it came time for Joshua to take over, he goes, I've seen God move. And I've seen how we failed God. And we're going to take those lessons and we're going to do it right this time. I mention those names because we all come from the same ministry. And it wasn't by accident that God brought us all together. I didn't even know you until I got here. That's how big that church was. I didn't even know PL. And he was part of the security team as well. He was, but he was the inner court security. <laughs> He was inside the sanctuary, and I was, me and Darren were out of court. We had the uniforms, driving around a little golf cart, chase, chasing Jessica around. Where is my daughter? Okay, Pastor Benny, I'm, I'm, I'm getting Jessica now. Trying to find her. And now her and her husband, Michael, doing a phenomenal job in Jesus' image. But I want you to understand that we, we have a, we've had a glimpse of the glory. And when you see this and you see us bearing it right, I, I challenge you to go after it. Because God's going what is, to, what is it that we're going after? I don't know. I don't know what exactly it's going to look like. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God's doing a new thing. So we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. We just know that we've seen some things in the past. We know that if we can carry this thing the right way, 
and you can see it, then you can go after it. There's no manuals for revivals. And that's pretty much why things fell apart in the past. But it's not happening this, this time. Amen? Joshua says this in verse 5. Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The New American Standard says he will do miracles among you. The New Living Translation says he will do great wonders. He wasn't, it wasn't positive speech. It wasn't a pep talk. He was prophesying. Sanctify yourselves today because God will do wonders tomorrow. I don't know exactly what he's going to do. I just know that I got up early in the morning. I know there was a changing of the guard and I declared the word of the Lord. I know the angels were released on assignment. And I know he told us to come down from the hills of the Acacia Grove to the River Jordan. And God's going to do something new that, we've never, that you've never seen before. We've seen him do it and he's going to do it again. Amen. Moses is a... Our Moses was Benny Hinn, and our Joshua is George Sotolongo. I want you to stand with me. God is going to do a new thing. Can you close your eyes right now? Can you see it? Can you see the vision and the purpose and the plans that God has for this house? You are an integral part. God takes every member and places them in the body as he wills, according to 1 Corinthians 12. And you are a part of this body. If you see it, and you see us bearing it right, will you go after it? God is about to release something unprecedented. God is calling us to sanctify ourselves today because tomorrow he will do wonders, he will do miracles, and he will do signs. People will come from around the world the way they did with IHOP to come and receive counsel from our prophetic team. People will come from around the world to have dreams interpreted in this house. People will come from around the world because they will hear of the healing rooms that are happening on Tuesday nights. People will come from around the world. They will download the songs that are coming out of this house. The new songs that will be written. Sing unto the Lord a new song. There are songs that are coming. There is power being released. There are angels on assignment being dispatched. Do you see it? Do you see it? When you see it, and we as a leadership, because I'm speaking not only to the congregation, but to the leadership of this house, will we bear it? Are we going to bear it the right way? Are we going to bear it his way? If you see it and we're bearing it, who at the sound of my voice is willing to go after it? If you're willing to go after it, I want you to come to the altar because I want to pray and I want to release. Thank you. Don't worry about the water. Thank you. Oh, Lord. Lord, we see your vision, for it has been made plain. God, give us as a leadership grace to bear the vision and bear it properly. And God, as a, as a congregation and the leadership, hand in hand, equal, no one better than the other. We say this day, we want to go after it, Lord. We want to go after it, Lord. We want to go after all that you want us to do, Lord God. You've given George and Janice a vision, and they have made it plain, and they have made it clear, and we're going to run with it. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, we declare the word of the Lord from Joshua 3, and we declare the prophetic word, and we release the power of God. Angels, 
who are mighty in strength, obey the word of the Lord. Angels hear the voice of God. Angels perform the will of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we sanctify ourselves. We set ourselves apart. We set ourselves apart not just from the world and carnality, but we set ourselves apart from religion and tradition. We want to know the true meaning of holiness. You said you are holy and be holy as you are holy. We want to sanctify and purify ourselves, Lord God, because we will not make the mistakes of our forefathers. We will come from the area of temptation and we will be overcomers. Father, in the name of Jesus, let your spirit fall, Lord God. Let your spirit fall, Lord God. We are contending for revival. We see it. We're bearing it. And now we're going after it, Lord. Let me say this to you. Many times when we hear a message like we just heard, and we think of the gifts that God is releasing in the house, to see this manifestation in its fullness, but not just in its fullness, but to see it sustained. That's what we're after. We're after not just a moment, but something that is sustained and that can be passed from one generation to the next. Many times when you hear that, and I want you to hear this clearly, you may say to yourself, well, I don't have a preaching gift. I don't have a prophetic gift. I don't have the gift to lay hands and do miracles. I don't have a singing gift. I don't have this or that or the other. Do you realize there are so many gifts that are not seen? Gifts of hospitality, gifts of serving. Don't minimize those gifts because without them, they would not have been able to sustain what was going on on the day of Pentecost. Because when the church was growing rapidly, it was the need for people who were just willing to serve in the practical things. There's gifts of giving. Those who you who have been, God has given you a gift to raise money for the kingdom of God. All of these giftings, do not minimize the gift that you have. The mercy gift. We need people. There are people who are going to come in here who will need mercy. And that probably ain't coming from me like it should. But there's somebody in the house that has the gift of mercy that will be able to say, no, no, don't run them out. No, no, don't kick them out. No, no. I got the mercy for them. And so that's maybe you. There are people who are going to be up at night, night after night in intercession. You will never see them, but they are invaluable in the sustaining what God is pouring out in this house. You may not know their name, but heaven knows their name. When they rise up early in the morning, they stay up late at night, and they're praying, they're laboring, they're, they're speaking to God. And they are, they are, they have, God has given them this burden for prayer. Don't you minimize any of the gifts that God has put in this house. Just because you're not on the platform, just because your name is not being called, you have a valuable part in this ministry. So if you're waiting back there, and you're thinking, we need you all. We need you all. 
God did not send you this to this house by accident or by coincidence. But he said, those who I plant in the house of the Lord will flourish in his courts. You are here for a reason and a purpose. For such a time as this, God has sent you. Don't you sit out on your gift. You better answer the call. I don't care how minimal you think it is. God's got something for you that's valuable and important to his kingdom purposes in this house. And without you, there may be a life that won't know eternal life. And I don't say this to put anything on you. I say this for you to recognize the value that is within you. So let's lift up our hands. I don't care where you're standing in this place right now. Lift up your hand and say, God, I surrender. My life is not my own, but it's yours. Use me, make me, mold me, whatever way. Whether it be me as a craftsman to build certain things, to fix certain things, to maintain certain things. Whatever it is, God, I'm yours today. Because you're a good God, I'm yours today. And I recommit my life to you today. Today I say I am yours. I give myself to you. this life. Use me, Lord. However, however way you want to use me, use me, Lord. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.